So I woke up this morning, and the first story that I read, I saw on Twitter, was Elon Musk calling a spelunker a pedophile. <laughs> yep, I saw that one over the. That was a that was a like a forty eight hour crazy thing. He's now since deleted those tweets. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did. So yeah, so. <laughs> so so this guy so the guy who actually led the rescue effort in Thailand uh gave a pretty inflammatory interview about Elon Musk and then Elon Musk decided to call him a pedophile on Twitter and then when he got called out on that doubled down on it for a minute said I bet you anything it's true and then sometime over the the preceding 24 hours somebody got to him and convinced him to delete those tweets so they're they're removed but forever preserved in the in the annals of the internet well one thing's for sure i think like donald trump you don't want to personally criticize elon musk because he will come after you on twitter coming up we do a little channeling of donald trump and elon musk ourselves and overhaul america's energy policy in 280 characters or less first Quick word about our sponsors. Overhaul your portfolio by investing in commercial solar with Wonder Capital. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com GTM. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. We're also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, the leader in balance of systems tech for solar and storage. Shoals develops the absolute best equipment for your PV and battery plants, helping them operate at the highest level. To learn more about how Shoals can help your project, visit Shoals.com, S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey. Welcome. I'm GTM Editor-in-Chief. I'm with Shale Khan. He's my co-host and the Senior Vice President of Research and Strategy at Energy Impact Partners. Good morning, Shale. Morning, Stephen. Are you ready to wield your fake presidential powers on Twitter today? <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like I've been, I've been practicing for this my whole life, or maybe just for the last, like, 16 months. And you've been reading a lot of Elon Musk on Twitter too. Yeah. So um, setting aside the number of recent outbursts on Twitter that Elon Musk has had, I was uh, struck by an exchange that he had about a month ago in mid-June when somebody, Michael Shermer, tweeted at him a question, which was, when you start the first Mars colony, what documents would you recommend using to establish a governing system? The U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Humanist Manifesto, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, so he gives a bunch of examples of what documents, his question was what documents Elon Musk would use to set up government. Instead of answering that question, Elon Musk uh, just tweeted a, an entire governing policy for this Mars colony, not a list of documents to go from, but an actual policy. Um, so let me just read to you Elon Musk's prescription for policy on, or, or governance rather, on the first Mars colony. He says, direct democracy by the people, period. Laws must be short as there is trickery in length, period. Automatic exploration, expiration of rules to prevent death by bureaucracy, period. Any rule can be removed by 40% of the people to overcome inertia, period. Freedom, period. 
So I thought that was interesting. He then actually got lots of responses, as you can imagine, people saying, you know, this is a great idea. Many other people saying this is like you you, you learn all the reasons why this wouldn't work and um, in, you know, public policy courses at the beginning of college. But uh, nonetheless, I thought it was sort of inspiring that he could come up with his view of an entire governing policy for a colony or a country or a planet in this case in in a tweet. So I thought maybe we would try to do the same thing, only with energy policy. I love it. I love it. So you came up with this idea, sent it over to me a couple days ago, and I sat down and realized how difficult this is. Uh huh. I, <laughs> I had the exact same experience, which is I came up with this idea. I sent it to you. I was like, this is going to be great. And then I sat down to do it and had a really hard time uh, feeling comfortable with my energy policy in a tweet. But can I, before we talk about it, can I explain the rules? Yeah, let's let's hear the rules. Okay. So the goal is, again, to come up with our prescription for U.S. energy policy in 280 characters or less. So again, this is U.S. energy policy, not global. And here are the rules. The first rule is, is you do have to use punctuation, um, but you don't have to use perfect grammar. In other words, you don't have to use full sentences. This is sort of Twitter rules, right? So you can say... Uh, for example, abolish the EPA, period, screw the planet, period. That would be okay. Those are not full sentences, but at least you have a period in between them. But you can't say, you know, abolish the EPA, screw the planet without any punctuation. So, so you know, minimal punctuation. As an editor, I suspect you will appreciate that. <laughs> the second is, so we're we're coming up with our policy from the vantage point of the federal government. So imagine that we are you know, the U.S. energy czar or maybe the president, which means we don't have any authority over states that the feds don't already have. So you can't force states to do something that they, they, you know, the, the federal government can't already force the states to do. And then the third is that, you know, if you want to propose a policy that the federal government could enact, but it does require congressional approval, we can just assume that you will get the approval of Congress. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Simple, but again, I found this pretty difficult. So who wants to share their energy policy first? I think you should go first. Okay. I want you to read the punctuation, by the way. Not all of it, but like read the periods. Okay. Sounds good. Price climate pollution and send the money back to citizens or local governments, period. Put an end to supporting energy with the tax code, period. Establish fair and open access for all technologies on the grid, period. Electrify everything, period. Don't dogmatize renewable energy, period. Double ARPA-E's budget, period. That's my energy policy in a tweet. Man, you got the word dogmatize into it. That's <laughs> Dogmatize <laughs> renewable energy. It took up a, a lot of characters. I know. I couldn't you, help you myself. Really, those, that's super interesting how you went about doing it. I think we should dissect it piece by piece, but uh, but it, you, you took a different tack than me. And actually, I think once you hear mine, um, it will be indicative of some differences between us. But uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, you know, everything you said in there is is interesting and makes sense. Let's Let's talk about the individual components of it. Okay. So first sentence, price climate pollution and send the money back to citizens or local governments. So I'm still, despite the many um, political challenges for pricing carbon in the U.S. and around the world, a big believer in a steadily rising carbon price and also a big believer in um, 
you know, using that revenue to either send checks back to people or using that revenue on a local level for uh, where it might be needed. Yeah, what you didn't do is give a lot of specificity there. Like, so you have you have pricing carbon, but you don't specify is it carbon tax? Is it cap and trade? You know, what are the mechanisms to price carbon? And then you also gave yourself two options for how to allocate the the revenue. You said either to the citizens or local governments, which is interesting. When you say local governments, what do you mean? Like, give literally give the money to, to states. Yeah, and states can spend it how they want. Uh huh. So, you know, it's a pretty open-ended prescription there. So did I fail because I didn't specify how I would price carbon? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I actually think that this is a this is a real thing in politics. I remember it coming up during the 2016 presidential campaign in the primary, in the Democratic primary, because Hillary Clinton had a bunch of very, very specific energy policies designed with numbers around them and, you know, a ton of uh, forethought going into them and white papers. And, you know, this was the whole thing, right? She was like prepared to implement policies in every sector on day one. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, had, you know, big sweeping goals um, with a little bit behind them, but not nearly as much. And so you're giving an example of of a policy that I could imagine the Bernie Sanders campaign having proposed. So it's not all it's not, you know, wrong, um, but it does reflect the difference in sort of how you think about it. Are you calling me a democratic socialist? <laughs> Are you calling yourself a democratic socialist? <laughs> no, no. But okay, so now that I'm on the spot, let me be more specific. I don't like the idea of a cap and trade system. Now, if it were on the table and we could actually pass a carbon cap and trade system, I would probably support it. But they haven't really proven effective yet. And uh, they're wildly complicated. So I, if, if you were asking me to be more specific, I would say a steadily rising carbon tax. Now, when it comes to spending the money, I was open-ended for a reason because I think states will have wildly different priorities when it comes to spending that money. Um, some of them could spend that money specifically on climate-related or renewable energy-related programs. Others may close budget gaps. And I think that uh, I would be fine with leaving that up to local governments. All right. Well, okay. So that's clause one. What's your next? What's the next part? Put an end to supporting energy with the tax code. Anyone who follows U.S. policy knows how extremely convoluted our tax code is and how we use it for the majority of our government spending on energy, both in terms of direct tax credits for renewable energy and in sort of backhanded ways of tweaking the tax code to make it cheaper to mine uh, and drill for fossil fuels. So all sorts of corporate loopholes. Um, this is a much bigger issue than energy, of course. We in the United States love our complicated tax code or love to hate it. And we make it worse and worse every time we attempt to reform it. With that said, I think it's just an incredibly complicated way to support energy technologies. And ultimately, it's not very fair either. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, so I agree with you that I think uh, tying everything to the tax code complicates things, is not super equitable, creates uh, issues that you don't foresee initially. I worry from a practical standpoint that the easiest 
part of the things tied to the tax code to get rid of would be the tax credits. So the first thing you would lose is the investment tax credit and the production tax credit, uh, where the mining rights and I mean, you didn't even mention like sort of pass through taxation stuff for for master limited partnerships and other stuff like that. Those are a little bit harder to to get done. But sure. Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can sort of re- remove all the tax code oriented stuff and replace it with direct subsidies where where you want it, then that would be great. All right. What's next? Establish fair and open access for all technologies on the grid. Yeah. What does that mean? It could mean a lot of different things. Um, I think ultimately I'm looking for a single interconnection standard for technologies like rooftop solar PV or commercial industrial microgrids to figure out a way to make it easier to permit and interconnect these systems to the grid. I also would want to create some kind of consumer bill of rights. You know, uh, consumers should have access to the energy markets and should be able to sell their energy and establishing some kind of codified bill of rights for those consumers would probably go a long way to, uh, you know, encouraging more progressive, localized policy. Hmm. I mean, so actually, I remember a few years ago, I think, I don't know, it was SIA or some other solar organization was pushing a a consumer solar bill of rights. That's exactly right. Like everyone has the right to generate their own power. Everyone has the right to speedy interconnection, stuff like that. You know, I think that's interesting. Okay. What else you got? Electrify everything. Right. That strikes me as uh, not a policy. A bit more of a mantra than a policy, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, I, you know, if your goal is, you, you set a goal of electrifying uh, X percent of industrial energy consumption and Y percent of agricultural and Z percent of, you know, non uh, non-passenger vehicle, public transportation, or just transportation. And then for each one of those, you know, you spend R&D dollars, you provide grants to states, like there's, you, you spend on some infrastructure. There's a bunch of different ways you could go about doing it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You probably want to s- establish some kind of federal target and then build policy around it. And then largely leave it up to states to implement their own policies for how to get there. So kind of a clean power plan style approach or the type of approach that we saw with, uh, you know, a federal renewable energy standard where states had a lot of flexibility in the kind of resources they procure underneath that standard. So some kind of mandate that you establish from top down and then let the states build from bottom up. All right. What's left? Okay. There's two left. Don't dogmatize renewable energy. Again, more of a mantra than a policy. Mm-hmm. And also the one where you managed to get the dogmatized word into your I'm proud of tweet, myself. So it's it's a favorite of mine for that reason. <laughs> Look, I, I think this is particularly relevant because of the number of very left-leaning progressive politicians who are mainstreaming the idea of 100% renewable energy. And this has really become a platform of the Democratic Party. And I just can't I can't get behind it. I think I understand from a messaging perspective why 100% renewable energy creates this aspirational goal that sounds really good, is easy to rally behind, um, creates excitement. But as policy, it's terrible. And to 
to specify one particular type of um, energy resource and to kind of ignore a, low, a broader low-carbon mix is just not good policy to me. So with that said, I understand that I potentially just suggested an electricity mandate. So I know that there's probably some contradiction in there. But just the idea of 100% renewable energy is not good policy to me. Hmm. So what you mean when you say don't dogmatize renewable energy is don't push 100% renewable energy? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Or pretend huh. like... Interesting to have a, like, have a non-policy <laughs> in there. Yeah, I'm realizing how non-policy oriented my policy is now. <laughs> It's again. It sounded like, good on paper. <laughs> no, it's it's it really does remind me. I know I don't want to keep hearkening back to this, but it totally reminds me of what I saw when I was. I mean, he would have said yes to 100% renewable energy, I suspect, but it reminds me of of Bernie Sanders' energy policy platform. In the in that it's like, you know, big sweeping ideals, uh, some specifics, but not. You couldn't implement the policy tomorrow without a lot more detail. Okay, so the last one is. A lot more policy-specific, double ARPA-E's budget. I think that ARPA-E is doing extraordinary work supporting some of the coolest research projects in energy that I've ever heard of, and we should be doing more of it. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer to be putting more money behind uh, a cool agency like ARPA-E. Well, that one, uh, that one I understand. That That's a real, that's a policy. Allocate oh my God, I convinced you of to... something. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I have one, I have part of mine is, is somewhat similar to that. You'll see. I, I like my version of it. Okay, so can you just read the whole tweet back again now that we've talked through it? Sure. Price climate pollution and send the money back to citizens or local governments. Put an end to supporting energy with the tax code. Establish fair and open access for all technologies on the grid. Electrify everything. Don't dogmatize renewable energy. Double ARPA-E's budget. I think yours is going to make a better stump speech than mine. <laughs> okay, coming up, we're going to hear Shale's prescription for U.S. energy policy in 280 characters or less. But first, let's hear about our sponsors. What if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Well, you listen to this show and you know that you can. And you can with Wonder Capital, the award-winning investment platform that allows individuals like you to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. Since 2015, individuals have invested tens of millions of dollars using Wonder's solar investment platform, helping successfully fund over 200 large-scale solar projects across the U.S. If you're interested in combating global climate change while earning up to 7.5% annually, go to wondercapital.com GTM. That is wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM. The Interchange is also brought to you by Scholl's Technologies Group, a leading manufacturer of balance of system solutions for solar and storage. Scholl's makes all kinds of products, combiner boxes, junction boxes, fuses, monitoring systems, and it makes them with the highest performance standards in a drive toward elegance. Scholl's has been serving the solar industry since 1996, and now it serves the storage industry. It has always had the same passion for quality and innovation, and its products are featured in some of the world's biggest solar projects. If you're looking to step up your game with the best balance of system solutions in the industry, contact Shoals, S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. Okay, are you ready to hear mine? I am. Let's hear it. All right, punctuation included. Remain in Paris Accord, period. Retain CPP, but increase targets, period. Resume and increase CAFE standards, period. Introduce Federal Green Bank, period. 
triple R&D spending on clean energy enabling tech, period, federal push for HVDC transmission, period, major infrastructure investment in public transit systems, period, freedom, period. <laughs> yes, freedom, hearkening back to Elon Musk. I like it. Okay, let's go sentence by sentence and break it down. First sentence. All right, first sentence, straightforward, remain in the Paris Accord. I, I don't know what to tell you other than we shouldn't get out of it. We should stay in it. Totally agree. And even though the Paris Climate Accord was not actually that ambitious, just the idea that we can get all these countries together agreeing on something is huge and gets us to that next level of action. So very good, concrete first step. What's the next sentence? Uh, next sentence is retain CPP but increase targets. So this one is, I, I will note that I found myself as I was going through this, doing a lot of like, keep things that the current administration is trying to kill or undermine. So this is example number two of that, which is, you know, keep the clean power plan in place. But if, because I wanted to be a little bit more ambitious, increase the targets, because I think most of the analysis of the clean power plan is that depending on how it all plays out, you know, may may not itself go that far beyond the current trajectory of emissions reductions in the power sector. So increase the targets, make it more stringent. Um, but Keep it in place. Okay, so two fairly defensive moves then. A along with my third defensive move, which is resume and increase CAFE standards. So, you know, I think a lot of folks who've, who've taken a look at it have made the case that CAFE standards, fuel economy standards for vehicles, have been one of, if not the most effective mitigant of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States that we've had. Um, they also are a big part of the drive toward vehicle electrification. And so, and, and, you know, even if you care about energy independence and energy freedom, as we talked about on the last episode of this podcast, they're also good for that. So cafe standards from my perspective are great. Um, they are, you know, currently under some siege, uh, in this administration. And so I would retain the cafe standards that we've got and arguably even increase them over the long term. So you are convinced that the status quo at the end of the Obama administration was the right path. This is why I think this is so funny, because the, the entire debate during the 2016 primary was Hillary Clinton saying, from an energy policy perspective, basically saying, I think that we are doing the right things. And if anything, we want to keep the, the programs we've got in place, but make them more ambitious. And then Bernie Sanders saying, no, 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 we need to, you know, totally change the system and and start over at least that was my perspective on it and so I, I you know and um i it will be no surprise to know i was a big fan of hillary clinton's sort of ambitious pragmatism as you might call it and so my policy reflects that yeah it does although i'm still surprised that you keep equating me with bernie sanders i feel like i was chanting a little bit more libertarian and traditional conservative ideas Mm. Well, it's not that he didn't. I mean, you're right. I mean, your your specific policy proposals generally weren't in line. I meant more the sort of the frame of them and the the type of ideas. Either way, whether or not your yours aligns well with Bernie Sanders, I suspect mine does align pretty well with uh, Hillary Clinton's ideology. Okay, so what's up next? Introduce federal green bank. Oh boy, we've been hearing about the green bank for a long time. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of the idea of of having green banks. We have some in states now. Connecticut was the first one. We have a bigger one in New York now. Um, we've never had a federal one, though it's been proposed a number of times. You know, green banks are relatively flexible financial institutions that leverage public capital to de-risk uh, investments in assets or technologies that are relatively new in order to bring in private capital that is a little bit more risk averse. It's a good way to bridge that divide for for energy technologies from the lab into widespread commercialization. I think the federal loan guarantee program, for example, could be a a under the umbrella of a of a federal green bank. And despite all of it, you know it being maligned for the Solyndra uh, investment, you know that program has been pretty successful overall, and not just for things like Tesla, but also you know getting some of the first utility scale solar projects financed and developed, and now we see tons of private capital flowing into those pro- types of projects independently. So I've just always thought that a green bank, well structured, um, can can introduce a lot of leverage because you can get a lot of private capital to come behind public dollars if the public dollars take the first loss. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea in theory. People have been talking about this for a long time and there's just zero appetite for it in Washington, sadly. I mean, today there is. I, I still think it's it's plausible. I think it's probably, unfortunately, because it's less important, I think it's more plausible than a carbon tax from a federal standpoint. Maybe maybe not going to happen either way during this administration, but you know, sometime in the next 10, 12 years, um, I think a, a green bank is entirely possible. I don't think any of this stuff is that plausible right now. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You have little faith. You want me to keep going? Yeah, cheer me up. <laughs> this one's not going to cheer you up. This is just one upsman. I didn't know I was doing this, but this is one upsmanship. My next one is triple R&D spending on clean energy enabling tech. So... <laughs> because you wanted to double RPE's budget. I basically said to triple it. I wasn't specifically talking about RPE. I think you could apply some of this money to RPE. I was just saying triple across all of the ways that you spend, that the federal government spends R&D money on, and I said clean energy enabling tech. So I don't know that we need to triple spending on next generation solar technology. Sorry to the perovskite folks. But I think there is a lot that needs to go into the enabling technology to get to higher penetrations. And then some of the things that you wanted, electrification of various um, various industries, you know, you could throw more money at that as well. So I don't know whether RPE is the vessel for all of that money, but but I'm all for tripling it. So then I think we both agree that we need a lot more investment in R&D. Yeah, I think so. I think it's part of a portfolio. You know, the green bank is uh, to commercialize and deploy. And so I'm I'm all for deployment support and R and D support. And so those are my those are my two sides of the coin. You nicely touched on both ends of the spectrum there. Anything else? Do we have any more policies? Yeah, I'm I'm not I got three more. Two hundred and eighty characters is long, is one of the it things is. that I discovered. <laughs> now I understand why Twitter was criticized for it. I know. Okay. The next one, federal push for H V D C transmission. So I'm a big fan of high-voltage DC transmission. I think it's going to make it a lot easier for us to keep building wind and solar on the grid. It's hard to get done. You know, the federal government doesn't isn't necessarily the problem here. It's often local opposition that stops these projects from happening. So I will readily admit that I can't I couldn't just, you know, wave my wand and 
and get a bunch of HVDC transmission in the U.S., but I think the federal government could do more to push it, to do public information campaigns, to support um, the states that are, you know, trying to get approvals. They could do more on the on the um, technology side. So, some sort of a federal push and and set of goals around HVDC. Yep, and there's a reason why um, European countries have so much offshore wind because they've had explicit government support for transmission projects that get those offshore electrons to the mainland. And uh, we need something similar in the United States. Yeah. And China is going to be building just a crazy amount of it um, in the coming years. So if we want to do it to keep up, that would be another reason. Uh, Okay. So then the next one, major infrastructure investment in public transit systems. This one I put in there in part because I actually, I do think this is something that should be nonpartisan. Um, you know, there's this, there's this like joke that the Trump administration is going to call every week infrastructure week until the end of eternity. And at some point they'll actually try to push this infrastructure plan. What I would like to see in that infrastructure plan is a lot of money spent on public transit. Uh, it, you know, it, it should benefit everybody from an equitability standpoint, where a lot of a lot of the things that we talk about tend to benefit those on the higher end of the income spectrum. This one is the opposite. Um, it does reduce emissions, reduces single vehicle occupancy. So, you know, I, I think we should we should push for it. So the last two have explicitly touched on two of your choices in the deep decarbonization draft. Uh, yeah, I mean the reality <laughs> and HVDC lines. I'm waiting for you to add a federal program for augmented reality. Yeah, I know. I should have put that in there. It is true. You've caught me now and figured out that my my federal energy policy is just to ensure that I win the deep decarbonization draft. I'm playing a long game here. Uh, but everyone on Twitter already thought you won, so <laughs> you don't have to rub it in. Yeah. Uh, no, it's you know I think it's it's consistency of views. I think those things are actually important. Uh, and and I think that they're particularly the public transit infrastructure investment is eminently achievable. I'm I'm trying to propose things that I think, you know, I could actually get done. Okay, last one, freedom. Period. We can all get behind that. I have nothing to say about that except that Elon Musk included it at the end of his. So I, I thought I should as well. And I had the extra characters. You know, I had to I had to use them up. Okay, so we've got our policies, two very different policies. I would love to hear from our listeners now. All right, uh, me too. So what, do you want people to to tweet at The Interchange? Yeah, tweet at The Interchange. And what kind of hashtag should we use? I feel like there's got to be a way to categorize these. Well, the problem is you could hashtag energy policy in a tweet. That's a good hashtag. The problem is it wastes a bunch of characters. So you're definitely going to have far fewer than 280 characters. But as we found, it can be kind of difficult to fill up 280 characters. So I know. I still have two characters to go. I thought about throwing some extra exclamation points in there just for fun. <laughs> Freedom! Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why I didn't do that. All right. Here's the deal. I think there are a few ways we can go about this. If you want to use all 280 characters, just craft that tweet and then screenshot it and then ping interchange show on Twitter. And then we'll take a look at them and we'll tweet out the best ones or tweet out all of them. If you want to hashtag it and see what others are tweeting, hashtag energy policy in a tweet and you'll have fewer characters. But I promise you, 280 characters is a lot to come up with an energy policy. So a couple different ways there to 
communicate your energy policy to us on Twitter. We would love to hear your ideas, and I'm sure that we'll get a bunch from across the spectrum. I'm excited to see. I'm, I'm not at all convinced that you and I have come up with the ideal policy prescriptions, so curious what energy Twitter finds. Absolutely. All right, we look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts, including Google's new podcast app or Apple Podcasts. Um, Send a link to your friends and family or colleagues. Word of mouth is also very important for getting people to listen to this show. Thanks for listening. With Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations about the future of energy from Green Tech Media. We will catch you next time.